Hey, Minus 3 is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds and markets for the NHL, Major League Baseball, and oh, so much more great new and existing user promos. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for a multitude of reasons, don't you know? It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. You get your winnings delivered in as quick as two hours, and there is always on a sports day the same game parlay. You can combine multiple bets within the same game. That's why it's called the same game parlay and you can discover the most popular ones right when you log in and if you're new just download the FanDuel app to get started ASA and P just make sure you do us a favor here at minus three and sign up with the promo code minus three the word minus the number three so they know we sent you and Eddie Spaghetti let's start this show minus three with Dave Damashek. Hi and hello sports fans. Welcome to Minus 3. In a matter of moments, we're going to be talking with Scott Pianowski, a guy who I really enjoy kibitzing with on social media. Loves all the things about sports I do. If you aren't aware of his work on Yahoo Fantasy Football, you soon will be. And I uh, and I uh, am willing to predict that you're going to enjoy him as much as I do. Eddie Spaghetti has had him uh, with Jen Piacente on their Extra Point show. And that serves as a good reminder to make sure you're checking out all the great shows on the Extra Points Network and head over to the ExtraPoints.com page to check out the arcade, play against us, with us. Maybe you'll even win a prize if you do so. In the meantime, great debut for O'Neill Cruz, Pittsburgh Pirates. That's a cause for some celebration in another lost season there. The Colorado Avalanche now being challenged by the defending two-time champion Tampa Bay Lightning. If you missed that one, Tampa Bay made uh, quick work. I guess I would say quick work. I think the score was a little bit skewed there. I think Vasilevsky over Kemper is the takeaway of that one, despite the margin of victory. Spaghetti, what's your takeaway? Are you now, because you and I are both Colorado Avalanche believers here, are you shaking it all in your faith? Well, what's funny is because, you know, we were saying going into game two, and I said this uh, on a few shows, and I was telling Sal, I was telling you, I was telling Hench, I was like, game two is the most important game for me in this series because if the Lightning won that game, it's like, okay, they, they clearly figure out the Avalanche. If the Avalanche whipped them, it's just like, yeah, they weathered the storm, and that's the, that's the best thing they're going to do versus uh, the Lightning. And, like I, you know, game two, obviously, the Avalanche dominated them. But in game three, uh, what I did not expect was the Lightning to come out and dominate them. And now I didn't think the Lightning would win a game at home. I wonder how much, you know, it played into the Avalanche mind. I don't think it did, but, you know, conspiracy theorists, if they want to win the cup at home in front of their crazy crowd, not win the cup in, you know, South Florida or, or whatever. So I, you know, that could have been a thing. Well, I, you do I, that in game four. Once you get game three in the, and you've pretty much cinched up the series, then if you want to lay down in game four, maybe possible. that's what you do. It's possible you know? game four, yeah. I don't, unless they like the the momentum, ride the momentum of game four, and then win in game five. But yeah, the game really when it came down, like you said, it was Vasilevsky had a great game. Kemper, who's you know his status is up in the air for game four. I know the Avalanche are missing Burakowski. Uh, looks like Nikita Kucherov will be fine. It will play in game four. So you look, you figured the Lightning were gonna they're gonna win one. I, I'm not gonna waver from my prediction that the Avalanche will still win this series. I still like them to win this potentially in five games. So I think we're only, you're only gonna see the one win for the Lightning and the. They'll, they'll win game four in Tampa and then they'll win the cup at home in game five. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll see. Uh, I, 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 they probably will do the goaling, the, the switch, I think, but I, I'm still not, I'm not afraid of, of that. They, they could still score goals at will. Uh, and you have the best ever from Vasilevsky. So I'm not going to move away from my, my prediction there. 
It's the it, it, what evens it out on some level is the fact that the Abs generate so much more offense than Tampa does, and they're throwing so many more pucks. So Vasilevsky can have a much better save percentage and be more acrobatic and make the more difficult saves. But the amount of shots he's seeing ends up equaling while well, it didn't um on monday night but i think over seven games you'll see that the avs generate enough offense that even the best goalie in the world is going to get got and has uh been gotten pretty good in denver specifically game four i'm going to take the avalanche it's even steven on the money line pick either side and uh minus 110 if you want to roll the dice a little bit more take the abs minus a goal and a half juicier there plus 220 if you want to take the lightning at home plus one and a half not much uh, value there minus 275 and they've settled pretty uh pretty um concretely into that total on the series it's still sitting there at six i say take the over here um, it's gone over in two out of those three. I think these two teams will combine to take it over. Before we get to Pianowski, very quickly, I'm pleased to announce, you know, uh, you know, I love, I went in the lake a couple weeks ago. It was a nice cleansing for me, you know, but there, there is no replacing the Pacific Ocean. Clay Thompson told you about it. I've been singing songs about it for the last 20 years. I'm pleased to announce I have taken my 2022 bath. I went into the Pacific Ocean, Eddie Spaghetti, and I was baptized. I was purified. Not far, ironically, from where Mel Gibson, who played Braveheart, who got purified by intestine at the end of Braveheart, not far from where the guy who played Braveheart, Mel Gibson, got arrested for talking bad about Jews and bosoms, um, I was purified in, in a better way in a more satisfying way, I washed off not just the day's soils. I washed off all of society's ills. I'm a new man. Thank you, Pacific Ocean. Get in there soon. Find out what clay and ice, what winners do, Eddie Spaghetti. Maybe you need to take a dip in the in the Pacific, and it will ensure your New York Yankees continue their role in a special season for them. All right. I just, I just don't get how go you go in the water, though, because it was so I was down in Manhattan Beach Saturday and Hermosa Beach for weirdly the first time in my L.A. living life um, on Sunday. Huh. And the Weird. wind was the wind was whipping. And like the only people you saw, like there were people only in the water were the surfers and like the little kids who are like just the cold water does not affect them. The wind impervious was, to the cold. Right. Yeah. You have like that trait because like there's no way I was ever going to go in the water. I can't do it. No, no, no. I don't love I don't love frigid water, even if it's in a pool. There's something, as I say, magical about the properties of the Pacific. I don't know if they apply in the Atlantic or the Indian Ocean or the other bodies of water out there. I know in the Pacific, though, there's something magic about it in which for the first four to maybe 11 seconds, it is frigid. But then your body temperature melds with that of the sea and you become one. Not the most exotic, most expensive silks wouldn't dare try to compare with the quality of the Pacific water on your flesh. Silky and smooth, Eddie Spaghetti. Oh, it's just heaven. All right, more heaven. Let's talk about not just the greats. We're not, you know, obviously Michael Jordan's one of the all-time greats, but I want to talk with Pianowski here. We're going to get into some uniform stuff and otherwise, but I also want to talk about guys who were so dominant or coaches or teams that were so dominant that they altered the trajectory of their entire sport. And by the way, 
not all of these are good things. Some of them alter the sport negatively. We're going to get into that, but first, Eddie Spaghetti, let's. It's uh, it's time for you to shine here. It is Tuesday at the time of this recording, and all summer long, you can go yard with five dollar. Dinger Tuesdays on FanDuel. This season, all customers will get $5 for every home run hit by two teams, by both teams, I should say, when you place a $25 two-hit-a-home-run wager on Tuesday MLB games. And the best part about Dinger Tuesdays is even if your bet loses, FanDuel is going to pay you $5 for every home run. This is one of the many reasons, as I've already told you, FanDuel is the best place to bet on America's pastime. It's your time now, Eddie Spaghetti. Let's get to it. Who's going yard today? So a lot of options you can go with. Uh, obviously, can't go wrong with my Yankees, Aaron Judge, uh, Stanton, Anthony Rizzo's been hitting a lot wait, of wait, what's, what's Judge have now? Uh, Still 25? But sound, yeah, sounds right. He hasn't hit one in a game or two. I mean, last night's game, Garrett Cole, almost no hitter. Then the Yankees almost lose the game, come back in the ninth and and, and win that one. It's a crazy one there. Uh, can't go wrong with a guy like Mike Trout either on the Angels, who seems to be hitting everything out of the park. But I'm actually going to go with uh, your league. I'm going to go with the National League here. And I'm going with the St. Louis Cardinals, the mm. guy who's actually leading on Fandle.com slash minus three right now, leading the NL MVP race is Paul Goldschmidt, who this is probably another list up your alley, too, of one of the most unheralded, uh, you know, superstars, really, in baseball, the least, uh, uh, you know, this guy has been as consistent as you could be for his entire career. No one ever talks about him, but it uh, looks like he's on his way to an MVP year this year. I mean, the guy right now has, uh, what is he, he's batting 339. He has 16 home runs, 58 ribbies. So the Cardinals are playing uh, tonight. He's facing Chi-Chi Gonzalez with a 7.71 ERA. He's batting 364 off and with a home run and four ribbies and 11 at-bats. Uh, I think Goldschmidt's a really good play uh, tonight. He is the NL MVP leader at plus 200, so Bad Goldschmidt to go yard in tonight's game. Excellent. I like that choice. And you got uh, your guy, Nestor Cortez, going. He's a fun story, if only for the mustache. Great story, yeah. Um, and uh, so, anyway, there you have it from Eddie Spaghetti. And uh, and now let's get into some more hot sports. More hot sports talk. Let's see, that doesn't even bother me. Yesterday's Dave. Would have been down in the dumps. I, I fumbled my words, and I would have been ruined for the rest of the show. Not now. I don't. I, I'm carefree. Why? The Pacific Ocean. That's why. Let's get to Pianowski. Let's work in a quick break. Here we go. You know him from Yahoo Fantasy Football, and I know him from social media. We have fallen very much in love over any number of subjects. We park our cars in the same garage on all things that are important, like uniforms and uh, and foolishness and celebrating the game of life. It's Scott Pianowski. What's happening, fella? At long last, we connect here on Minus 3. Yeah, I've, I've looked forward to this for a long time, as I was telling you and Eddie. Big fan of the Minus 3 group. Uh, the logo is awesome. The, just the tone you guys hit of being smart, having fun. And we do park our cars in the same garage. We, we try to use Twitter for the same reasons, you know, to have fun, to talk about history, to amplify the good stuff, and to try to right the injustices of this society. So let's try to figure out the world in the next, I don't know, 40 minutes or whatever. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's get to it then right away. And I'm celebrating right now. Yeah, I love sports, but as I say, as a man of justice, a man of great influence. I love sports, but I'd love to leave them better than I found them when I leave the big blue marble. And I, you know what? I'm sorry, Scott, but I have to say a couple of things. One, 
long ago, back in 2007, I got uh, coaches Carol and Neuheisel on a radio show at the same time to agree to both wear their home jerseys for the victory bell game. They both decided we will accept 15-yard penalties for delay a game, and uh, we will both get back to wearing our home jerseys. It's a glorious sight, unlike any other in college football. They did it. That was a great achievement. I got in touch with uh, Wade Phillips, son of Bum, in advance of the Super Bowl that the Rams played in three or four years ago now, and encouraged him to dress like Bum Phillips, wear the old 10-gallon hat and the, and the jacket and everything else. So he did. Great achievement number two. And now I have completed the, uh, the Holy Trinity. Uh, my loser bowl idea the two worst teams in pro football playing each other for the first overall pick has come to fruition. Now, not in the NFL, but it happened in the USFL. This is a great stride forward. Um, and now I'd like to see the NFL. Would you like to start us off here, Scott Pianowski, with a suggestion to make sport better than what it was yesterday? So congratulations. That's a, that's a big, Thank momentous, you. historical occasion that we will certainly, you know, scholars will look back on this. Children will study it in school someday. Thank you. I'm waiting for... And you're welcome. If, you're welcome, America, or North America. Why don't, why don't playoff teams pick their opponents? You know, we, we think... We want regular seasons to have meaning. Look, I get it. Every, every playoff, American playoff league ends with... You know, if you want, don't want playoffs, you maybe watch a European soccer or whatever. But we play tournaments. And people say, well, the regular season's devalued. Well, you know how you give more juice to the regular season? You let the top seeds pick their opponents... This is going to make people mad at each other. This is going to yes. give an advantage to the teams that have better records. There'll be some strategy involved. There'll be much debate. Why did you pick this team and not that team? Nobody would be against it. The only people who wouldn't like it is the people who actually have to make the decisions. And when they're the people who don't like it, you know you have a good idea. That is precisely right. I do think, right, you wonder with like coaches, let's talk about it from an NFL standpoint. So, are you suggesting this for the wild card round then? I think that's what would give it. Because if you're a number one seed, if you're the Green Bay Packers of 2021, are you saying you wait to see how the wild card round shakes out and then that team gets to make the choice? Or if you're the number two seed, I kind of like that as a consolation prize because until recently – you as a number two seed got a buy, but okay, so you don't get a buy anymore, but instead you get to choose your foe in the wild card round, right? That would be a fun way to do it. Oh, that is a great idea because they had the perfect playoff system and they screwed it up. The two by system, right. the six playoffs teams in each conference for the NFL was perfect. Now they've gone to one by. I don't think one, I don't think anybody likes that. So that would be a great feather in the cap for the the number two seed to pick their pie. I hadn't even thought of it that deeply, but that's a great idea. So I, wait, I, was I, it the Cowboys? Would it have been it would have been the the Cowboys were the two seed last year and played the Niners and lost? Is that how that went? That sounds right. So you would have stepped to the microphone, and and I also like the I I, I like the added um, drama of it having to be the starting quarterback and the head coach that they have to get in there. It's sort of like the NBA lottery when they draft the cards and you put uh, a, a figurehead in there. I think we get to choose who it is. It's Dak Prescott. He has to do it. That, talk about bulletin board. This this jive about every team um, in the last 25 years has to say, like, no one believes in us, and that's disrespectful, and that's bulletin board material. Nothing better than Dak Prescott or otherwise stepping to the microphone and saying, 
Yes, out of all these teams that we could play, the team we want to play is Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That would be the, that would be the greatest moment to punctuate the end of a regular season and transition into the postseason. That's glorious. And and you're you're hitting the right tone here because it, I'm not. You, this is not a letter sent to the league. This is not an email. This is not a conference call. This is a publicly viewable event. With as you said, the team, the quarterback, maybe it's a. Uh, a legend of the team, you know, maybe the Cowboys, maybe they bring out Hollywood Henderson or somebody. And he's like, you know what? Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't spell cat. If you spotted him, the C and the A, you know, <laughs> we're going to play them in the first round. You know, that, that would just be fantastic. Boy, that is, yeah, that's uh, that's super fun. And like, there should be, you, there should be an immediate press conference after like you have to, you can't just say it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that we choose for the wild card matchup but you have to give at least three reasons why. Or well, he, Tom he, Brady he, is old and he's, he doesn't move very well, and that sets up nicely for Tank Lawrence and uh, and our pass rush. Make a, a good night, uh, uh, Tom Brady, old man, because here comes Parsons to get you. To put or it could even be like, like March Madness where they show all the different teams huddled hoping to get to the <laughs> tournament, and then once they announce their name, they jump up and down. You know, So Dallas announces they're playing San Francisco, and then the 49ers have immediate reaction. and uh, It just... This is never going to happen, but, but I, I mean, love it. I, I, I know, I know that we're uh, two grown-ups indulging nonsense that will never happen. But you know, I do think really it's not that far field. It seems absurd, except that, like you say, you know, a room full of whatever's sit around and decide which college basketball teams get in, and there's the so-called bubble and all of that. I say boil it down to the reason I don't love March Madness is is because there are too many eighth place teams from power. All right. I, I don't care if they would beat some rando team from some rando conference. The fact of the matter is they finished eighth in their conference. You can't put them into a tournament They're, They At no point were they the best team in their own conference. And they're far away from being that you can't then put them into a general tournament that includes everybody. I find that unsatisfying. Now the college football tournament is great because it's only four. Once you get down to like being the eighth or ninth best team in college football, you have no claim rightfully to being the best team in the country. We've earned it based on our body of work. Not really. If you're if you're way back there at ninth or tenth, what what rightful claim do you have? Now, there does always seem to be a fifth team. They're like four and a half to five and a half teams that you can kind of make a case for for the final four. I say that the top two seeds. What, number one, the advantage one gets over two is they get to choose from a pool of three teams. So you're locked in. You're you're the top two seeds are named. Then there is a field of three more teams, and the number one seed gets to choose which it will play in the first round of the Final Four. How say you? Ah, How great so would great. that be if Alabama is like? What? Boise State's in this. We'll take them and kick the crap out of them. And then they have a chip. Or Cincinnati. Or what if you choose in your Alabama and you say, we know LSU. We want LSU. We don't fear LSU. Yeah, that would be great. That would set up just lifetime feuds. People would be mad at each other for the rest of their lives, which is what we need. This is sports. You need rivals. You need people to not like each other. We yes. we are in a touchy-feely. Everybody hugs everybody. Everybody likes everybody. And Trades like, jerseys. It. Right. You know, does it win the U.S. Open and goes over and is really nice to Matthew Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick's parents. You know, great story and everything. But we need some bad guys. We need some black hats. You know, we need I, I, as much as I hate Alabama football. Nick Saban is perfect for the sport. 
Absolutely. That's exactly right. What would Major League Baseball be without the hated New York Yankees? I get everybody loves them in New York. Well, not everybody. Some people like the Metropolitans. Um, Okay, now as we transition out of that, that's a good first question for you. What is your, because obviously you're nominally a football guy, but obviously you love puck as well. Anybody who follows you on social media will pick up on that. Which is your team in the the New York Tri-State? Well, I grew up in New England, so I root for all the Boston teams. Oh, you root for the Boston? I see. I get confused always. I because I then you vibe sometimes to. Do you are you anti New Jersey Devils or pro New Jersey Devils? Oh my God, they, I I hate the New Jersey Devils you more do? than okay. I hate anything in my existence. They Good. tried to ruin Dave. You, you and I again as as big this puck is what, guys. Yes, right, 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 right. I mean, you know, and 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 you know, also one of my hockey hot takes. I get killed for it all the time. I still think the best offensive hockey I've ever seen was Mario Lemieux. I'm not kissing up to the host here. Wayne Gretzky was awesome, but he played in the live puck era. They gave out assists the moment he got off the airplane. He also, by the way, played with unbelievable. You know, Mark Messier, Glenn Anderson, Yari Curry, uh, Paul Coffey. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the fact from his earliest from his earliest days, that's the big difference. And also people think it's a little micro, but, you know, Gretzky gets to the league at the start of the 80s and gets to play the first half of the decade when it's the all time score fest for anybody with a goalies have no chance, no goaltending equipment. These guys are horrible. Eight, six hockey's all over the place. It's glorious. You, You can't interfere with guys legally, which the league decided to make tacitly legal when the expansion took over. And, you know, one of the things I'm going to write a book someday, and if somebody doesn't beat me to it, about all time trophy injustices about, you know, Clyde Frazier not winning the MVP in the in the finals when because Willis Reed hit two jump shots. A great comeback for Willis Reed, Reed but, but Clyde went bananas in that game. And maybe my number one chapter one will be the year I think it was 1989. You're listening close intently where Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux had the same amount of assists. Lemieux had, what, 31 or 35 more goals, something like that. And they gave Gretzky the MVP because he went but to L.A. You, but don't you understand that Goldie Hawn started to like hockey because Gretzky arrived in L.A.? Oh, right. That, There's Kurt Russell. That is worthy There's of Kurt the Russell MVP, obviously. It was the most narrative-driven MVP because L.A. became a hot and, – and who was – and you know this. Who was – this was not before – by the time the Penguins had loaded up. There was no Yager there. There was no juggernaut, no bandwagon. Mario Lemieux was making Rob Brown look like a superstar, which he wasn't. And he was making Bob Airy look like a scoring winger, which he wasn't. He was basically a third-line guy. He was playing with pylons. And Wayne was playing with Bernie Nichols, who scored 70 goals. Bernie Nichols I've heard enough, Spaghetti. Stop the show. Did the listen. <laughs> He's hired already. That's enough. <laughs> I hope you're paying attention, Eddie Spaghetti. Do you see? He has no, Pianowski has no reason to say these things, except that they come from his heart and from his brain, more importantly. I love it. Yes. I Well, of course, that is the greatest injustice these two eyes have ever seen. Um and we get into the devils, and that brings us neatly into a subject I thought that you would be. Hang on one second. I, I just have to say for the devils, just remember one thing, okay? And this ties into the hockey finals we got now. Joe Sackick uh, a couple of years ago said, look, he's the, he's the operations head of the Avalanche. I don't know what his exact title is, but he basically runs the show in Colorado. He said, yeah, we, we want to win. We want to be great and all that. We have an obligation to be entertaining. Hmm. And I just want to go up and hug Joe Sackick when he said that because – all the New Jersey Devil fans were like, yeah, we played this horrible style and it almost ruined the game, but we won championships, so it's valid. It doesn't work that way. 
you know, when Dean Smith, the great Dean Smith, when he decided when he went to Duke in late seventies, like, well, they're in a zone. We're we're, gonna, we're not going to shoot. We're going to try to get them to come out of the zone. And they played a half. It was like two nothing or four two at the half or something. That breaks the game. That ruins the game. That sullies the game. And to all the Joe Sackics out there who say, yeah, we want to win, but we want to win the right way. We want to win pretty. We want to win possessing the puck, not giving up the puck. We're going to value the puck. We're going to Nathan McKinnon you and Kale McCarr you. That's hockey the way it ought to be. So enjoy these finals because we have two unbelievably great teams who are skilled, who score goals, who don't say, oh, here's the puck. We don't want it. You can have it. We'll sit back and try to score on a counterattack and try to choke all the life out of this game and maybe win two to one. That's garbage. I'm so glad the NHL has made a comeback in the last few years because they're letting the talented guys shine. That's what they should have been doing all along. I mean, it's as though you have uh, read from the files of my brain. That is exactly right. And, you know, does this sort of transfer from sport to sport? Not exactly, because in pro football, there is something aesthetically appealing, especially to, to my eye in northern climes. Like when the Baltimore Ravens dominate you and they smother you defensively in 2000, or the Jacksonville Jaguars did, did what they almost did three or five years ago, and the, the Steelers back in the 70s and whatever, these these. The Chicago Bears, of course, in the age of free agency, the problem is it's hard to sustain defensive dominance in a quarterback league. But nevertheless, there is something very pleasing in January when when your heroes defensively are are um, coming down on the opposing quarterback and not letting them get off. And, and, and you see them punctuate the play with the, with their breath being visible and otherwise and maybe some some uh, snowflakes falling down to the field. That's glorious in hockey. Dead puck sucks. It ruins the sport. Um, and high flying is the way to go. In on some level, I admire the the Philadelphia Flyers though for maintaining a sense of self and saying this is who we are. And even though the uh, it's not even grinded out, it's thuggery, Broad Street bullies. But at least that's their identity, and they're sticking to it. I like to laugh at it because, of course, it's yielded zero cups since 1975. And conversely, the high flying way is the right way in hockey. And so I'm glad that I root for a team, if not the team that's done it best for the last uh, 30 plus years. But I hear your noise exactly. This leads us very nicely into, and not just in a positive, because we're glass half full some of the time, but also glass half empty. So let's get into this here, Scott. The guys or even the teams that dominated with their style so thoroughly that the rest of the league had to copycat what they were doing. I'll start us off with, and I want you to throw in yours as we go here, but I think you could kind of say within our lifetime, it's the Mel Blunt effect. But if you want to go one further back, I wasn't alive for Bob Gibson, but I feel like he was primarily responsible for 1.12 ERA and everything else. Mm -hmm. They're like, who wants to sit in the ballpark or let alone turn on their TV to watch zero runs get scored? We have to lower the mound to give hitters a chance. Plus, then the DH. I don't know how directly you attribute the DH, the implementation of the DH to Danny McLean and Bob Gibson and otherwise, or general pitching dominance from the late 60s into the early 70s. But let's start there. How say you, is that a good place for us to go to, to cite one figure 
who kind of accelerated the need to increase offense in Major League Baseball. No, that's great. I, you know, Bob Gibson lost nine games in that season. That's how pitching. I mean, he he did one point one one two ERA, and he loses. He goes twenty two and nine. And I miss those days, man. I miss those days where the starting pitcher was going to go three or four times around the order, and there wasn't this rush to get the starting pitcher out of the game. And there's too many pitchers on a baseball team, man. I nobody nobody went, goes to the baseball game. Said, I hope we see you know, nine pitching changes tonight. That would really be awesome. I, I, I would do something about that, but. Um, we just saw the the Warriors win their what fourth title in the Steve Kerr era. And let's face it, Steph Curry. You know the, they've changed the game for better or for worse. And I'm a Larry Bird guy, but Steph Curry's the best shooter in NBA history. And I one of my favorite Curry stories is that his, his father was a great NBA player, Virginia Tech legend. And Steph Curry wanted to go to Virginia Tech. They could not find a, a scholarship for him. And I realized recruiting is a inexact science. Who's coming? Who's going? You don't really know where your commitments are. It's kind of like trying to get a prom date. You know, this girl wants to go with me, but the girl I really want to go with, maybe she's going to break up with her boyfriend. You don't know what to do. You end up with either two prom dates or no prom dates. That's kind of how recruiting is. So Virginia Tech doesn't get Curry. He goes to Davidson and ends up breaking the NBA. And he's a guy, Curry's one of those rare guys where – Everybody likes him. No, I, I mean, maybe if you're a diehard, I don't know, Oklahoma City sure, I get it, fan right. or something, you don't like him. But he's he's like a Patrick Mahomes, universally beloved. He's got those pretty eyes, but he's a killer on the field. He goes out and you know screws around in practice and has fun and takes horse shots and just just screwy shots just for the heck of it. And and look again, I'm a Boston guy. I was rooting for the Celtics, but I I can't hate on Steph Curry. But what has he done? He's made the league into a a game where you just jack up a bunch of threes. I don't think that's the greatest thing, although the guy in the NBA, the guy who I think is the villain of the NBA, the New Jersey Devils of the NBA is James Harden, where it's like, okay, look, I'm going to dribble over here by myself for 18 seconds. You guys just stand around, and then we'll run a pick and roll. I'll try to maybe fake out the official into thinking I got fouled when I really didn't. It's, It's ugly to watch. It works, although it doesn't really work in the playoffs. I think James Harden is a New Jersey Devils pox. I'd like to see him out of the NBA. But but Steph Curry, man, he's just, you know, it's funny, the college guys, right, Dave? 1987, they bring in the three point line. I know you have Indiana ties. You know, Bob Knight understood. I got Steve Alford. He's shot like 54% from three. I went to Providence. Rick Patino said, if you take a long two, you're wow. running laps. One of the worst, maybe the worst Final Four team in the three-point era was that Providence team because Billy Donovan and all these other guys just threw up a bunch of threes. They got lucky in the tournament. The college game figured out the three so much earlier than the pro game. The pro game was like, it used to be like, oh my God, somebody's taking the three-pointer. Everybody stand up. It was like throwing a bomb in a football game. You might see two or three of them. Now it's like the game is dominated by threes, maybe smothered by threes. But college guys figured it out early. The NBA, it took a while, and it took guys like Steph Curry to really change that flow. It's funny. Well, first of all, yeah, also the number two on that Providence team, former Indiana Hoosier, Delray Brooks himself. Delray Brooks, a transfer, um, yeah. The... um. Yeah, the the three-point rule um, and what Steph Curry has done, kind of blowing it out of the water, the the thing I've been pointing at for the last few months here is that he's not making 24-foot threes. He's making 30-foot threes, Logo which threes, opens yeah. up the floor and allows Andrew Wiggins and otherwise to do it. So people are now saying, do they need to move the three-point stripe back? I kind of liked, was it, um, who said it on the one of the finals broadcasts? I think it was Van Gundy said they should make bank shots from a certain distance worth three. I think that legitimately 
if you made it from like 18 feet, you might then that specific skill that nobody ever sees anymore using Rudy Tomjanovich, right? Yeah, right. From the perimeter, maybe that would be something. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. So then this brings me to my question of the force of one player and his ability to swing an entire sport. Could Shaq, if you dropped him in his prime into 2022, would he force the league to go back to his style of ball, just pounding it to him in the low block, and a team like Golden State would be lost? Or would Shaq be the one who would not be able to handle what's going on in the game around him as they spread the floor and try to get somebody to penetrate south of the foul line? I'm afraid Shaq, I, I don't want to say dinosaur, but I don't think he would be a great fit in today's game. And I just read a, a really fun piece of the athletic about the NBA prospects, draft prospects coming in and they have all the, like that scouty talk. I love all that. I love like the, all the whispers from the scouts and everything and, and who looked good on their pro day and, and who doesn't have a high motor and, and who doesn't have confidence in their jump shot and all this stuff. It's I, that is my catnip. And, you're the league when we. I bet Chad Holmgren has a high motor, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. You know, when you and I came of age as sports fans in the NBA, there is a, a run where 18 of 19 MVPs from the 60s to the 80s were centers. Every NBA MVP in the 70s was a center. And the best thing that ever happened in the NBA was the Magic and Bird explosion because you have a six foot eight point guard and you have a, a six foot nine six foot ten you know small forward or power forward depending on the day and now the game isn't all about the centers and look kareem was great and wilt was great and russell was great i'm not denigrating that moses malone was terrific not denigrating those guys in any way but the game became more interesting when your dominant player then jordan comes a few years later he's a guard so now the best player in the league can be any position it doesn't have to be the center and then you know, that that was the the NBA was in so much trouble in the late seventies. David Halberstam documented this. Everybody knows the games were on tape delay, and the game was boring. And you know, Magic and Bird, and then ultimately David Stern saved it. Uh, you could argue, what did David Stern do? I mean, I, did David Stern make sure Patrick Ewing went to the Knicks? I don't know. It's possible. David Stern made sure. I think that all the home teams would win. There was an eleven year span where no road team won a game seven. Thankfully, the NBA has gotten away from that with the road. You know what? Two things, two things about that that are interesting about the NBA that stand out even in 2022 is it is the pro sport that is just the most openly insinuated or, or worse is like, oh, yeah, it's fixed. Yeah. Oh, no. Like, yeah, they did that. The Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course, they fixed game six so that the Lakers would uh, would get the play game seven against them way back when it's fine. But I mean, that persists like, oh, who, wh- who's the official? At that game, well, you know, that's not going to be good for the Celtics. Like, there's no there's no outward announcement of these things in any other sport to this degree, I think, is funny, one. And two, the irony that I always point to, and it's a sad one, is who came up at the knee of David Stern, the guy who liberated, who said, listen, we must allow our superstars yep. to yep. carry the league, Bird and Magic, and here comes Michael Jordan and otherwise – who was at his knee? Gary Bettman. Gary Bettman. Then took over the NHL and does the exact opposite of that. Like, while well, we're expanding into Florida and the Florida Panthers, there's not a natural fan base there. So we have to make it engaging for them via W's. So we'll allow skill-free clutch-and-grab jive to slow down the superstars like Lemieux and the high-flying Rangers and the Oilers and otherwise. And, and really, just about killed the sport. In doing that, I think it's worthy. Uh, it's uh, worth a, a mention of of those two things. But I completely agree with you. And by the way, 
with the documentary that everybody watched on Jordan during COVID, it took away the rhetoric of like, man, he's the ultimate competitor. Michael Jordan, like he'll kill her. He'll kill you. And that is, I feel like the big takeaway, but I hope people also absorbed the highlights from the first five years or so of his career when he was just straight up a physical freak. Like he was, that was a luxury item, even including Magic and Bird. Those guys were great, but there was something about the nature of his game hanging in the air and double clutching, triple clutching, and still getting the shot off with a guy in his face and falling back and knocking down the uh, the 16-footer the that was so captivating because, like I say, up until that point, you know, you had some guys, some high-flying players, great dunkers and all that, but Jordan became the central figure of the league and, you know, that's luck in, in favor of David Stern. You say, what did he really do? Well, he did allow the stars to be a star and made that the focal point from marketing to officiating and beyond. So I do think you're right. David Stern deserves a shout out in that regard. Mel Blunt, for the people who don't know, was a dominant corner. But if you see him now, and I have seen him within the last year or so, he is. He looks like he could go out on the field and play. He probably couldn't because he's a man in his 60s, and I don't think that would go well. But I, you know, Tom Brady has expanded the possibility, so maybe he could. But anyway, he's 6'4", and, and sinewy muscle and all that, same bald head that he had when he played. But he was so physically dominant that Cliff Branch and, and uh, um, otherwise couldn't get off um, the line of scrimmage because he could manhandle you. So they had to modify the rules of pro football because there was a cornerback who was too good. He was too physical, too dominant. And so they literally had to change the rules. And in a way, I always go with the Super Bowl era for when the clock starts on how you evaluate players from different eras. I always go with that because it's nice and clean Super Bowl one. But you could also make a case that the modern NFL really begins in 1978 when they liberate the passing game a little bit. From that point forward is a decent measure of quarterbacks, whether you're talking about Marino and Elway or Mahomes and Justin Herbert. Um, So I think that Mel Blunt definitely deserves a shout out. Do you have another one? Oh, that's a great one. Um, I loved the the Steelers' defenses. As you talked about, it's so hard for defenses to have continuity now. And you were running through some of the great ones. You also could have mentioned that Buccaneers team that beat the Raiders in the early 2000s. What a defense that was, the Barbers mm-hmm. and stuff. But, but you know, the Steelers, right, they load up with the 74 draft, and you know, somehow they – they get Lambert in the second round. They don't let anybody look at the John Stallworth tape so they can steal him in the fourth. Best draft in, in league history. Correct. And that defense, that 76 team, didn't even go to the Super Bowl, but all those shutouts in the second half of the season. And you're right. They had to change the rules. The NFL, it does. I'm with you. I think the Super Bowl era is the way to go when I talk about history. I didn't see Don Hudson play. I can't really talk. I speak to him in, in an eloquent way. But I, I think you have to think Super Bowl era. And as you said, 78, a watershed year because they made passing. It used to be, you know, co- most coaches would tell you, you know, three things happen when you throw the ball and two of them are bad. We get to run the ball and you could go to the Pro Bowl with like 11 or 12 touchdown passes. You know, if you caught like 50 passes, you were a stud. The game was totally different back then. And then who figured that out was and really commanded it with, in a way, as you as we look back and, you know, Tom Brady Bart Scott just said it last week. He said, I'd rather uh, face Tom Brady because he's a product of Belichick more than I'd rather see. Pa- I find that a little specious. Um, you Me know, too. they talk about rivalries and uh, can't wait right on the heels of winning in Foxborough and all that. I think that's owed to maybe an enduring rivalry 
as a Jets guy against the the big bully Patriots. I don't know that that's really true, but there is to some degree a conversation. Well, Brady, I think you could have plugged in other quarterbacks into Belichick's system and they would have won Super Bowls. I don't know if, if that's exactly true, but a guy who, as we get further away from the 80s, uh, San Francisco 49ers dynasty, I think a lot of people more and more are thinking like, yeah, it was Joe Montana that great. He was great, everybody. If you didn't get to see him play, he was dominant, 4-0, obviously in the biggest game and all of that. But I think the guy who deserves more credit for changing the game is Bill Walsh. Because mm-hmm. up until Bill Walsh, and even through the 80s, there was Dan Marino throwing a lot of picks and even more touchdown passes and all of that. But he really modified the game. When people talk about Joe Namath, you know, when, when Young's, point at Joe Namath and say like why is that guy in the Hall of Fame he threw more interceptions than he did touchdown passes Terry Bradshaw you're gonna hold that guy up look at his interception totals yeah everybody threw interceptions because you were pushing the ball downfield the idea of controlled passing game was not a thing until Bill Walsh made it one so I think Bill Walsh has to make this uh this uh you know our, our list here of guys who were so dominant with what they did that they altered the game forever or at least for a generation for sure. And you're totally right about how we have to look at interceptions. It was like smoking in the 70s. Nobody thought it was that big of a deal. So everybody threw picks. Everybody smoked. In fact, quarterbacks smoked on the side. You see Lenny Dawson smoking on the sidelines is on Twitter like once a week. And it's and it's glorious. I'm not a smoker myself, but I think smoking is hilarious. I still love that Dick Allen Sports Illustrated cover, right? He's smoking and juggling three baseballs. Please, the Cobra Dave things. Parker smoking right, in the smoking dugout. The dugout with the Stargell Stars on the helmet. He's classic. I, I remember thinking, oh my God, Dave Parker smokes? Really? An athlete smokes? It was a totally different. Jimmy Leland. Oh, Jimmy Leland. Oh, Jimmy Leland was one of these guys, too. He, you know, he was, you know, like we, we've talked on the show before about Don Draper is the coolest looking smoker. Yes, he is, for sure. In modern, in modern days, at least. If you get back into the black and white, we can talk some uh, Bogart or whatever. But yeah, in the last, you know, 25, 30 years, no cooler person smoking on camera than that. But yeah, I like, I also, but you know, he, he was more traditional. But in dugouts, Jimmy Leland, you know, like trying to hide, almost ashamed of it, but made it look even cooler, looked subversive the way Jimmy Leland would, uh, would drag off that nail. Um, I, 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 I get a comment. Bring smoking back in in the 21st century. That would be that would be a revolutionary. That, well, you mentioned this, that Dra- guy could make our list. You mentioned Draper is the coolest smoker. I would say a very close second. It's a little bit of a different style, but Robert De Niro. You think of him like in Goodfellas. You know where he's he's sizing up what he's going to do with Maury, and he's smoking the cigarette, and they got I think Cream is playing or something. The perfect musical choice. And De Niro just puts so much is said without any anything actually being said. It, it's just perfectly done. And Mad Men did a lot, again, to make smoking look cool. And it's funny how you watch The Sopranos. I always want to eat Italian food. And whenever I watch Mad Men, I always wanted to fix a cocktail. <laughs> Unfortunately, a, an old-fashioned tastes like motor oil, but it sounds like the coolest thing when Draper orders it. Let's get back to the topic at hand, guys, game changers. Well, I Randy do want to Ma- say one thing, though, because now you mentioned mm-hmm. it, and, I, and I'm a child. Ozark, we've been finally watching that well after yep. everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. Every scene, they're drinking. They always have booze in their hand, whether it's wine or whiskey wine. Or, or cheap uh, bottles of beer. They're always drinking in that one. Um, maybe that would be – maybe somebody could tackle that one. You know, somebody could have in the dugout or on the sideline their beverage, a choice. You know, that'd be kind of is a it, cool thing. Is to, it Julie Garner, Julia Garner, who plays Ruth? She is a powerhouse. She just dominates that show. She's fantastic. And she's going to 
Right, and she's uh, next up, I guess, to play Madonna. I just read she's doing. Uh, oh, that's awesome. She'll, she'll, she's fantastic in that show. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm curious what you make of the ending. I won't spoil it for you. We've Getting got back uh, to, like maybe 10 left or so to go. But anyway, yes, continue. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Uh, and by the way, anytime you want to do a Mad Men anything, I'm I'm in. That's um, my first. The Sopranos and Mad Men are my one and two in, in some order. I just go back and forth on it. Talking about Game Changers. So the, the Vikings draft Randy Moss when all these other people didn't want him. The Cowboys didn't want him. You know, he's bounced mm-hmm. around. He was at Notre Dame for a minute. He was at Florida State for a minute. He ends up at Marshall. Why the Vikings drafting Randy Moss? They already have two good receivers. Nope, nobody plays three receivers. Well, I'll tell you why they they drafted Randy Moss because this guy can score an eighty yard touchdown on almost any snap, every snap of the football, to the point that defenses said, "Okay, we have to change our defense now." It's about how do we not let Randy Moss score an eighty yard touchdown on every play? So Tony Dungy, former Pittsburgh Steeler, says, "Okay, we're going to go Tampa two. We're going to have our safeties." And other teams had done this at times. The Broncos did it to Clifford Branch in the 1977 championship game. We can't let Branch get behind us. Let's back up our safeties or back up our corners. But basically, Randy Moss changed the NFL for two reasons. One, you can play three receivers as a base offense or as a regular offense. Maybe it wasn't Minnesota's base, but Moss sure played a lot. And the defense has finally said, okay, forget trying to win this war of attrition three yards, four yards. We can't let this guy in clown us on a snap-to-snap basis or he's going to score six touchdowns. That's it. That's an excellent one. And of course, that then leads me somebody who got to watch both yet get to choose one guy, Jerry Rice or Randy Moss, which is your pick. You know, I I think Rice is unquestionably the best receiver in NFL history and the most competitive guy. But I just think Moss tilted coverage in a way that nobody else has ever done. One thing that always drove me crazy, and I love I love Sports Illustrated. They they are the record of my youth. I still am in the Sports Illustrated vault every day. I'm reading Frank DeFord on Bobby Knight. I'm I'm reading Rick Riley when he really had his fastball. I'm reading Dan Jenkins on golf. This, Sports Illustrated's awesome. But they did a thing a few years ago where they did the top 100 NFL players, and it was a combination of talent and impact on the league. And they had Odell Beckham on that list. They did not have. Randy Moss or Terrell Owens on that list. That and it just right? drives me crazy because Randy Moss was a comet. He, he was, he was somebody from a different planet dropped onto the, again, I think Rice was a better player, but I think Moss might actually help might be more destructive. I also remember sports illustrated doing Peter King and a bunch of people together. They did a draft of all, all time. You could draft any NFL talent you wanted and Moss went really late in that draft. I'm like, wait, wait I, a second. I, I know Peter King did it, but Damashek did it first. The all-time draft. They, I'm not okay. saying they took that from me. I don't think that uh, I have the influence that it got on Peter King's radar. But we did that a few times. Um, me and a few guys, Daniel Jeremiah did it uh, with us the first time. It He's was great. super fun. Moving the you sticks. have to modify, though, because you can't do – you can't draft with knowledge of how good – well, obviously, you do know how good Dan Marino ended up being, but you can't uh, you can't draft with full knowledge. Like, who do you want? You can have Tom Brady; he's won the most Super Bowl, so of course he should be the first overall pick. You have to bend your brain a little bit and say, "This is what you know about the kid at age 21 when he's coming out of school." So oh, Lawrence Taylor out of UNC, you can't know that he's going to become the most devastating pass rusher of all time. You have to know though what he's got and what the hype was around him, dig up the draft um, buzz about Lawrence Taylor coming out of Chapel Hill. So you have to draft everybody as a draft prospect. That is fascinating. Well, because then otherwise, why wouldn't you do, why wouldn't the top two just go Montana and Brady, but neither would make your first round in the here and now. 
if you don't know what they end up doing at the pro level, you would never draft them. So it ends up being like, you know, you can make a case for Lawrence Taylor or Reggie White or um, like Jerry Rice is hard to justify getting into the first round based on the measure that I just laid out there. And like John Elway is is certain to be in your top three or five because of the hype around him. And Andrew Luck might make that list as well, as a matter of fact. Man, I love that. The 1983 draft, the greatest draft in NFL history, and the, the 30 for 30 on that where they go through the Demoff notebook is is just fantastic. And it's if, my catnip. I mean, it's a big stretch. But if Phil Rivers two years ago had survived the game against in Baltimore, I guess it was. And if they get to a Super Bowl, maybe even not winning, mm-hmm. if they, if if Phil Rivers punctuated his great career with a with a Super Bowl trip, and that was his way out into the pasture, I think there would be better buzz about the Eli Roethlisberger Phil Rivers challenging the '83 2004. Yeah. What a great, what a great draft that was. I, Way I know more, you love- already more Lombardis. You have more Lombardis on that side because of Eli and Roethlisberger more than. Well, you know LA what? That should Marino be guy. that should be a documentary, right? I mean, they did the the '83 documentary. They should be a documentary on that draft where Eli didn't want to play in San Diego, and you have all these great quarterbacks, all these guys going to the Hall of Fame. And I'll give you a great what if tied to Philip Rivers. I know you love the what if game. What if Philip Rivers? is drafted Schottenheimer fell in love with him at the senior bowl. He drafts him. Drew Brees had not done anything yet. Rivers signed late. What if Rivers signs early Rivers signed so late that Drew Brees had to play and had a great season. And they said, well, I guess we got to play Brees for another year has another good season. His shoulders a little wonky Miami. What if everybody talks about is what if Miami had different doctors and what if Nick Saban and, and Drew Brees mm-hmm. hooked up in Miami instead of Dante Kupfer and Nick Saban, that changes history. But if, Philip Rivers signs quickly. We may have never found out that Drew Brees was a really good football player. Boy, that is a fun one. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, Brees is is interesting in a lot of ways. Um, I, I mean, and of course, that trio of quarterbacks that land in San Diego one time, Flutie. Flutie. Is is that, well. I just going to say that. He's we in that quarterback Brees room as well. Rivers. I love I love quarterback rooms and looking Two at Two short guys and one gigantic guy. I know. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really bizarre. I'm so um, glad you mentioned that. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, and you had a young Antonio Gates on that team who was undrafted out of Kent State. You know, the the first of the the oh, he's a basketball player. No, he's a tight end. Well, I you know you the St. Louis Rams, Kurt Warner, greatest show on turf Trent team Green. would have been very di- that could have played out very different on the AFC side. Wade Phillips will tell you. You know, he's he's a gentleman, so he doesn't. Uh, you know, shouted from the mountaintops. But of course, he wanted Doug Flutie in that game in Nashville, not Rob Johnson. That was that was thrust upon them. So if Doug Flutie, if they just survived that kickoff, if they just survived the Music City miracle, it would have been Doug Flutie in the divisional round. And that really shakes up things. Obviously, the Titans don't get to the Super Bowl. Um, if it goes down that way, um, we mentioned that, the New did Jersey. Did they call Devils. that right? Was that a lot? Was that a forward lateral? I think that play has to stand. What do you think? It's an optical illusion that I yeah. think has to stand, even though you can see where Frank Wycheck releases the ball. It doesn't make physical sense that the ball doesn't go forward, but there is no visual evidence to, to overturn. So I think you're right. I That's think you, the point. You can't prove it. And, and you know what? Make a tackle, Buffalo. The guy still had the run almost the length of the field. Make a tackle. And there go, are and go no pull. flags! 
legs. Yeah. And don't pull and don't pull your, you know, borderline pro bowl quarterback because you know, you want Rob Johnson who checks all the ball. He's tall and he's got the strong arm. Doug Flutie was a really good football player. Then when, when teams finally accepted that, you know, you can live with a shorter quarterback, you just get to do some different things. You can't run a traditional offense. Everybody was afraid to do that because it would ruin your career. If you had a screwy, the NFL doesn't like new ideas if they don't work. It's their career ruiners. As somebody who grew up loving college football and the variety of it by region, you know, Big Ten, three yards in a cloud of dust, the emergence of the Florida team slinging it all over the place, um, you know, wishbone offense in the Big Eight, Oklahoma and uh, Nebraska trading who who the titan of, of that conference was. And it really, like I say, was regionally specific and therefore satisfying how those different styles would match up in bowl season was was always a great watch. I always would say, growing up watching, um, you know, uh, the the B enemy Colorado Buffalo and uh, Darian Hagen at the trigger and Jamel Holloway at Oklahoma. And otherwise, I would say, why do we? Nobody could try the option. There's no way the NFL can. Oh no, you don't understand pro football. The guys are too fast at that level. That brings me to my last entry here for today, Lamar Jackson. You know, other guys. Ran, you know, ran design run. Steve Young and John Elway loved that QB draw in the red zone and otherwise. But Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens really have structured an entire offense around not the option properly, but essentially the option and design runs. And it all goes through eight. And I don't know how sustainable it is for the next half, uh, how it is for the next half decade. But to this point, it would be it's a resounding success, at least in the regular season. I still am skeptical of whether or not you can do it two or three or four times in the postseason against high end defenses. So far, you haven't been able to Baltimore. But nevertheless, a shout out for revolutionizing what you're allowed to do on offense and actually thrive. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Sure. And, and, you know, that breakout year when he won MVP, he also led the league in touchdown passes. I think people forget that. They think, oh, well, he did all this running and he ran for over a thousand yards and everything. But he also was extremely efficient as a passer. Do you think they've gone too far? Is it too easy for quarterbacks to run? You can't hit them. You can't look at them with ill intent. Does that need to be changed? I, I, once they go past the line of scrimmage, should they just be treated but like running backs? Or do you like the hands off approach? These are the stars of the game. Let's not injure them. I mean, I, wh- whether I like it or not, and I, I, I hate that uh, vapid cynicism that or mostly vapid is like money is everything. But, you know, as it turns out, money is everything with uh, the people who are calling the shots. And I do think that it, it whether from a competitive standpoint, whether or not we like it, the bottom line is the bottom line. And I, I think that you just can't have if you're the Baltimore Ravens, if you're Bashadi and now you fork over whatever they're about to fork over to him. And by the way, Lamar Jackson, I think he's gotten with it to the degree that he I, I, he's trying to play a game and say the right things, the PR thing. And so are the Ravens about the PR and like Lamar is our team and everything else. But guarantee him his loot. And Lamar, do not take the field in 2022 if you don't have hundreds of millions of dollars guaranteed to you in a world of Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, Eddie Spaghetti tells us just as we get going here that Deshaun Watson has settled all but four of his cases. Now, the NFL is not a legal body. It's not a court of law. It's they do these things from a public relations standpoint, largely that it's bad look, especially I keep pointing out 
people keep looking at what baseball did to Trevor Bauer. I don't think that's the comp to look at. I think Calvin Ridley being on the shelf for a full season. And are you going to try NFL to shelve this guy with the stuff against him for less than that? That'll put a stink on you. The good news is for the NFL, the thing that the reason that they always rise is because people love watching football more than they love any other sport. So they kind of let it go and move on. But um, I, to answer your question, I, 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 is it a good, should they liberate defenders to smack Lamar Jackson and otherwise? They already are. In 2021, they were catching up with him more mm-hmm. than they ever had before. I just, I don't think. It doesn't matter. Your QB doesn't have to play 20 years just because Tom Brady and Drew Brees did it and even Ben Roethlisberger, but Roethlisberger was a diminished version of himself in the last couple few years. Um, I, I just, I, I, I'm I'm very skeptical of how far Lamar Jackson can take it in playing this way. I think at some point soon, and same thing goes for Josh Allen, they, they better Kobe and MJ their game and modify the way they're playing to avoid, you know, the, you know, they just as Michael Jordan couldn't get to the rim, couldn't attack the rim when he was uh, 30 years old, the way he could when he was 22 years old. I don't think Lamar Jackson is going to be a game breaker to that degree without having to sit down for a few weeks here and there because an NFL defender who weighs 300 pounds and runs almost as fast as he does um, knocks him down. So, all right. That's I a think great that's point. A- you know, M- MJ wasn't going to live 25 years, 20 years in the NBA with Joe Dumars and John Sally and the Pistons, you know, tackling him. And I, I'd forgotten just how physical those collisions were. Um, and and you're, you're right, Josh Allen, they're talking about him maybe running less this year. We'll see if that comes to fruition. But well, um, it's also, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, as a quick side note, you know, Eddie Spaghetti, Rangers lover, um, his guy, Jacob Truba, was almost the takeaway if it wasn't Igor and you know what he did in the playoffs and the Rangers you know the the phrase I've heard a lot is ahead of schedule um the 2022 New York Rangers in this postseason but also a lot of slings and arrows being thrown at a guy who's throwing a lot of elbows around at other pro hockey players and it's like well and Spaghetti's point is and it's and it's a valid one is well it's a collision sport and you know Scott Stevens existed and Alf Samuelson mm-hmm. existed and the Broad Street Bullies existed and the Bruins played a certain brand of puck mm-hmm. as well the difference is that and Jacob Truba is no bigger than Alf Samuelson was really I mean marginally bigger than he's about the dimensions of Scott Stevens the difference is that the guys that you're colliding with now are moving faster than those guys mm-hmm. were and so they um, the, one of my, the, the, one of the paradoxes I always put point out about sports is the biggest dudes are the ones who wear out the most quickly. Roethlisberger, Eric Lindros, Shaq, Gronk to some degree, Mark Bavaro, um, you know, Mario Lemieux, these guys, cause they're, they're the constant in the collisions, Earl Campbell, um, I don't have high hopes for Derrick Henry, you know, that, you know, not, uh, no knock on him, but you know, Jerome Bettis is the anomaly. He's the guy who made like, how did he keep doing that when he was constantly when two or three guys had to run full, uh, full steam into him to get him down to the ground. He is the exception that proves the rule there. Um, so anyhow, I, 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 it's interesting, um, from an NHL standpoint, whether or not they have to, this off season decide, like, Jacob Trube is just playing physical hockey. All right, he's getting that that wing up there a little too frequently, but still, 
they're hard hits, but if it's shelving superstars, does the league have to do something to your point? Like it's not illegal to tackle Lamar Jackson. It's just bad for the sport if he is sitting down and you're watching the backup play for a month. Right. And just like I think it would be bad for hockey if you know, Nathan McKinney had a major injury or um, Connor McDavid had a major injury. Nobody wants to see Sidney Crosby on the sidelines. I'm glad you so met, mentioned Mark Bavaro, too. I just recently reread the cover story. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated after the Giants won the 1986 Super Bowl for the ensuing Super Bowl preview. And he I got a comment. He just was, was not going to have a long career the way he played. But I still remember that video. I think it was the 49ers where the whole team photo tried to tackle him and he broke like nine tackles. And, but that just, those guys are, ne- they're, they're going to burn out. They're not going to rust because it's just right. But you think like, well, that, that doesn't way. make sense. Doesn't the 18 wheeler uh, steam? Well, listen, if it, as it turns out, as Mel Gibson taught us um, in the road warrior, you know, you eventually the 18 wheeler is going to get dinged up to the point that it doesn't work either. Yeah, you, um, you feel you, you. I don't say this with any glibness, but watch Earl Campbell highlights. You'll have a concussion. It's unbelievable the contact he is taking and giving out. You know, Isaiah Robertson and the the takeaway, the tearaway jerseys and everything. Earl Campbell, man, he was something. He was when I first came of age of NFL fandom. He was the guy, and um, what I, and you know as well as anybody because he went up against your Steelers that Houston could never get through Pittsburgh. They beat them sometimes in the regular season, but. Campbell was amazing, but That's it's hard to watch. List. Let's uh, let's do that uh, at a later date, Pianowski. Let's put our heads together on. I love talking about the teams, the best teams that never, um, you know, won a Super Bowl, never. Oh, got the ringless the teams. Bowl. I love that. Like the chart, like the Coriel Chargers and stuff like that. The Coriel yeah. Chargers are my number one. The 58 Vikings. Vikings are great. Yes, I love um, that. But love for that like stuff. that 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 endured beyond just a special season yeah those those bum oilers teams the bum phillips not that they were bum they were bum teams and they're and they're handsome powder blue oh they would wear the powder blue pants i was there i was there when when vernon perry started the game off against the steelers as they chased their fourth in six years when vernon perry 75 um, yard interception return for a touchdown after he just picked off like eight 18 passes the week before dan fouts Oh, I could go on and on with you. All right, let's round it out. I have to mention this. I have to mention this. Shout out to the late, great Chris Wesseling, who wrote a Love You Blue piece for NFL.com. I want you to go search that. It's fantastic. It's glorious. And you'll be in a YouTube rabbit hole all day. Oh, man. I love that. There are professionally few things that I enjoy doing more than finding clips on YouTube of old games. I, 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 found the 79 title game against those Oilers, the one we're talking about, and sent it the, off. The Renfro, that was the Renfro game, right? The Renfro game. And I kept sending him clips. And I mean, you know, the the fat kicker, Tony Fritsch. Tony Fritsch, and yep. And was, was hysterical to look at. And the replay of that. And, and the way they – QBs get away with not thro- with, with you know Bradshaw the way he would flip the ball off his back foot and could drill the th- like Wes loved looking at those because he the lights don't come on for him until the early 80s so there are certain things that he wasn't aware of so it was fun to a guy who loved football history to to hip him to that and debate with him about the errors and everything was uh, was always a hoot so yes do track down love you blue by uh, by the great chris wessling and i think a good place for us to transition here and i think it's been a, a successful first run for you here um let's do three because now you can change your helmets in pro football. 
And, you know, because for the last few years, because of concussions, they thought it was unsafe for whatever reason if you had different helmets within a season. So that limited you to the base color of your standard helmet. So the New England Patriots, as a, for instance, with their silver hats, the ugly flying Elvis, the Tom Brady era uniforms, couldn't be replaced even for a week by Pat Patriot, the white hat, the red jersey, the one of the most handsome uniforms out there. Now... Those um, training wheels are off come 23. Is that right? So we don't get to see them this year. Is that correct? You know more about this than I do, although I'm excited. Man, I would I would go back to Pat Patriot for, for four months. I mean, that's well, everybody. Cool. I mean, I, that's the way. I mean, the, I, I said this. I've talked with a couple of Patriots about this from the uh, Super Bowl era. And Chris Long, most um, mm-hmm. I think it's the most noteworthy because, one, he, he loves get-ups. And and two, he played for different teams, so he understands, you know, the the you know being transferable in pro football and all of that. But appreciates his time in Foxborough, delivered a ring and all that. And I've pitched to him, just leave the flying Elvis era with Tom Brady and leave it as an association for all of time. Now go back to Pat Patriot. What I mean, what Patriots fan wouldn't like that? Given that. Uh, not only is Pat Patriot a better uniform, the the guy who's snapping the ball, the revolutionary guy, kind of looks like Bill Belichick. So I mean, it's a perfect uh, it's a perfect homage to to your legendary head coach. But with that in mind, give me your top three uniforms that you can go into the closet in franchise history and pull anyone out. And I am listed here on the podcast on our Zoom call as Coy Bacon to honor the Cincinnati Bengals. I love that lean black jersey with the all-orange hat that just said Bengals on the side of it. That doesn't make my top three, but this is your moment. Take it away. Your top three uniforms. You can go back as far as you want to go and pull it out and make that the new uniform of of these pro football teams. Should I go uh, one to three or three to one? Well, it's very dramatic to go three to one, but you do you. Yeah, I'm going to go three to one then. Um, I will take the Raiders at any time. Um, I, I, man, I'd move the Raiders back to Oakland in a second if I could. If I ran the world, the Raiders should be in Oakland. I, I know Vegas, why they're there, and the stadium's supposed to be great and everything and whatever. But um, they they had the patch. They just have the perfect logo for a team of renegades and the, the black jerseys and, and Al Davis, and John Madden, and Ken Stabler. I, I just fell in love with those guys. And uh, the Raiders always look cool. They're my three. I lo- I think it is crazy that, I mean, outside of the Raiders, you know, there was a year where their numbers on their road jerseys were silver rather than black. <laughs> outside of that, it's the same uniform that they've worn for our entire lives and it still is satisfying enough that it makes everybody's top three at worst. Like if, if it's not your number one, that's kind of controversial almost, but that, that get up has endured. I agree with you about the East Bay one because of the golden hour light and it, it's, it's heaven and can, and it's just perfect for pro football late afternoon when the sun uh, takes on a certain hue like that. And two, I'll sign off on moving them back to the East Bay as long as they make sure that the infield, the A's infield, stays in, stays on the – and players don't like it. They say it hurts when you get tackled on it, and they're glad. But but I don't care. I'm sorry. I'm not out there. It it's awesome. Cool. And you had to worry about, oh, oh, no, the kick – the field goal kick is in the infield. You know, is this going to affect the kick? You know, you have to it's worry about that. And by the it's way, the 
what that that's another one that needs to make our list sidewinding kickers that's that's the big one and is uh the big change to revolutionize the sport but also the raiders logo look real close people i i i you know i i pointed this out to none other than amy trask and she had no answer for this former exec of course she uh uh, the Raiders logo, one is an eye patch, but the other eye, the working eye, is closed. What gives, Raiders? What are you trying to do? Like, it, it, he's got the patch on the one eye and the other one's closed. Very weird. <laughs> and he's clean shaven. And, um, and maybe the coolest thing ever written, maybe the coolest NFL thing ever written, the fact that they put Steve Sable in the Hall of Fame after he passed away is something that will always bother me. This is a guy who made Hall of Fame careers with the way him and his father Ed, the great Ed Sable, the way they made NFL in, into just drama and and brilliance and music and all these things. The autumn wind is a raider. What's what's better than that? You know, pillaging just for fun. It just completely encompasses oh, what that franchise Fasenda is all about. Oh, and Sam Spence That's, and all of it is just, yeah. just the GD best. There's, you, you'll get no argument from me. I also think you sound more like Myron Cope with every passing year. And with that, I'm going to be accused of sucking up. Woo! I don't care. I'm Best going, compliment ever is when people say that to me. I love it. I, going, I I think people mean it as an attack. I don't take no, it. No, I don't. I mean, as a yoy compliment. and double yoy. And I'm, I'm flattered, Jens. I'm not sucking up here. I'm going Steelers number two, and I'll tell you why. I love it when a color scheme fits a city. The Penguins, the Pirates, the Steelers all have the same colors. You see them, you think Pittsburgh. Just like since uh, Seattle didn't make my list, but I love that the Seahawks colors feel kind of Seattle-y. They feel kind of internet cafe. I'm riding my bike to work. They, they just make sense to me. They, they look like they're, re- they're wearing bicycle uniforms in Seattle. And that makes sense in Seattle. The Steelers, I completely agree that the fluorescent with the overcast skies, fluorescence mm-hmm. makes sense because you want to see the biker or whoever else. It's a it's a physically active. It's an outdoor thing. And it's not just it's not just uh, the Seahawks because the Mariners have that fluorescence in there. Oregon has, you know, that it's yep. that whole uh, the Pacific Soccer Northwest, I think, does it right. I love it. The cracking. For sure. A, a, a color scheme name, should. But. A color scheme should fit a city. I, I think there's a yeah. color scheme for L.A. The Dodgers and the Rams, they're not exactly the same, but you, you think of that's kind of what Tinseltown is. I'd like to see New England approach that. I think if the Patriots went back to the red, it would make sense with the Red Sox. And that's why and the Kings like that. the Kings copied the L.A. Raiders and went silver and black, but I, if they haven't heard, the Raiders no, are gone triple now. crown. You go triple crown with Marcel Dion and Charlie Purple Simmer and, and Dave Taylor. Go back you, to the old school. Who do you, know, you share mo- your building with? If, if you share the building and you both wear poop purple and gold, that's cool. Do that. It's very cool. Yeah, very cool. You should be copying the LA Lakers and, and not somebody else. But I like it when a color scheme fits a city, which it does in okay. Seattle. It does in Pittsburgh. And my number one. Two greats. You got Raiders and Steelers. Those are hard for any sports fan to argue with as great uniforms, even if you hate the teams. All right. Here we go. Your number one. My number one. Also, I'll say with the Seahawks, they're one of the few teams that's their modern updated uniform I like. Most of the updated uniforms, like the ATL uniforms, Atlanta, I hate them. The Jets updated uniforms, Terrible. can't stand them. Number one, easy for me. Although I don't love the powder blues as much as everybody else does. I think they'll look better in the darker colors. Any Charger uniform is cat. Now, you know, the, in the AFL days, they had the numbers on the helmet. Another That's thing that the that. Chargers do well, and then the, you, your podcast does, the number on the helmet always looks cool. So Lance, Black number worth- on the hat, not the powder blue. Get that off. And plus, it's slanted. Like, I don't know. Who's that for? It's like the Eagles. They just did their new, I forget what they call that, uh, uh, 
the watermark or whatever. Yeah, their letterhead. But I don't when know, they yeah. do it slanted, it's like it's like what an old person thinks. Like, oh, the kids will love this because it's act. It's like when they when the Bills, the Buffalo Bills, went from the the red standing Buffalo. Like he's just standing there. The kids will love that he's running and he has, you know, like that he's a, a lurching uh, Buffalo. Uh, I don't know who asked for it, but yeah. I swear the hit rate, the hit rate on these changes, like who got rid of the Oriole, the cartoon bird for the Orioles or the Milwaukee Brewers glove logo, which is perfect. Who went away from these things? Whose idea was that? But I love any Chargers uniform. The greatest shame. One of the greatest shame. The Broncos uniform, get, you know, the, the way they've changed it. That was so perfect. Go back to the, to the old Broncos uniform, please. It's so quintessentially nineties, what the Broncos wear now but the the navy hat and the navy jersey was specific and it looked very 90s and i associated it with Terrell Davis and John Elway picking up the lombardi and all of sure. that but that era has come and gone and then they went to the orange jersey and now they've worn it in super bowls and it looks crummy it looks like a practice jersey i don't care which at this point beggars can't be choosers either go with the elway era that's fine with me i'm partial to the afl with the orange hats and the orange sleeves, you know, ah, those, those are those are hard to do. I even like the brown and gold, but that's too far afield now. Uh, the AFL had fantastic that. uniforms. They they yeah. were so smart. They they understood. It, there was a, a league that understood what people wanted to see and what was hip and cool. Now, every time they try to change a uniform, I think they take a step backwards. Well, that's exactly right. The AFL, when we're talking about revolutionary players and you know al davis and uh and lamar hunt and all those guys deserve credit for kind of changing pro football they were slinging it around namath and everybody else they were much looser not just in attitude but in in practice on the gridiron they were much looser um much like the aba and the nba right the aba had the three-point shot the aba had julius irving the aba had george mcginnis before he kind of lost his way it was the you know, they had a lot of the guys who came out of college early. Moses Malone started his career in the NBA. That great spirits, uh, St. Louis spirits of St. Louis documentary is fantastic. Bob Costas loves to talk about his time in the ABA. The Terry Pluto book is awesome. Yeah. The ABA, it didn't last very long, but it was a lot more. It was the fun league, just like the AFL was the fun league back in the sixties. Precisely. And, uh, and this was a fun episode of minus three because of you, Scott Pianowski, dynamite stuff, Yahoo, fantasy football. Hey, you don't have to wait until September. Shame the devil. Not even August. It's time to start looking at, uh, at what you're going to do come fantasy football draft season. It's, I mean, we're just about there. It's not that far. What are we in the the seventies, even until the season kicks off, which means you have drafting to get ready for in advance of that. But in the meantime, uh, appreciate all the time. And I, I, I'd like to think that this is the start of a beautiful relationship because we have a lot more meat on the bone to talk about here. I feel for sure. It was a blast. And anytime you want to talk, and I know we're going to have you on my show at some point, uh, over at Yahoo. And by the way, Maybe the spaghetti about that. We'll see if we can make that work. We'll see. Maybe these pro sports leagues will never pick your opponent, but you can do it in fantasy, right? If I win my league and I see Damashek sneaking in as the week by week, you know, the week uh, wild card team, maybe I'll have to fire a shot 
you know, to Los Angeles and say, you're, you're coming to my barn next week, you know, so you can do it for fantasy. Why not do it in your golf league? Or that would be silly. That would be silly for you to do that specifically with Dan. I probably wouldn't team. do that. The I'm cool just talking tough on the pot. I'm talking. I get it. I get it. But I mean, you know, what, mind your P's and Q's. I mean, I uh, three <laughs> titles in four years is no accident friend. You know, that, that that's, uh, that's just plum dominance. Anywho. Um, great times. Uh, thanks for joining us and, uh, let's do it again sooner rather than later. Shall we? Sounds good, buddy. Scott Pianowski, everybody. All right, there he goes, Eddie Spaghetti. What did you think? I mean, if there ever was a clone of you who could talk about that kind of stuff, it's definitely Scott. Uh, Scott's great to have on. We had him with Jen uh, a while back doing fantasy football. Excited to talk some fantasy football with Scott in the coming months. And, uh, yeah, wide-ranging variety here. Um, I, you know, I like his uniform list. Uh, it's a it's a good one. Uh, in the Steelers, don't they don't rank my top three, top five. I understand the love from the classic ones. I like a little more funky ones. But um, all in all, no complaints there from Scott. It's an instant classic episode. All right, yeah, we'll uh, we'll dig in deeper with all our uniform thoughts in the coming days, weeks, and months. And otherwise, we appreciate you checking out all the product here at Minus 3. Appreciate the kind words of Pianowski. And uh, again, um, Yahoo Fantasy Football is how you track him down. And uh, make sure you track us down on Extra Points and all the uh, other great shows on the Extra Points Network. We'll be back in just a couple of days with our guy Kevin Hench to dig even deeper on the great world of sports. Until then, for Eddie Spaghetti and Scott Pianowski, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs> <laughs>